Welcome to episode 16 of the Pogma Gold podcast. Co-editor of Pogue McGoal, and you're listening to the 16th edition of the podcast striking partner of Ireland's only football magazine. After a short break, we're back with another episode of our series which features Irish and international contributors to both the magazine and website as we explore football culture from around the world. You'll be glad to know we're also working on a brand new issue as we speak, but if you haven't yet picked up your copy, you can still order issue 6 online from pogmagoal.com. 64 pages packed with football goodness. On today's episode, we'll be talking shortly to a graphic designer, illustrator, writer and editor based in Dublin. But more importantly, he's the other half of the Poker Gold double act and my brother, Keith Carew. But first, I'm delighted to welcome back, after a short break of a few episodes, my co-host Joe Phelan, the content writer and editor based in London, and the perfect man for this podcast to reflect on the European Championships because like Robbie Keane's cousin Morrissey, he's got an Irish heart and English blood or maybe it's the other way around. Welcome back, Joe. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I am very much a reverse Morrissey. People have said that before. <laughs> so by now the dust has settled on the Euros. Has the heartbreak of England's final loss subsided for you? Uh, yeah, the, the, the sadness over it is certainly gone. Like, um, I, I don't think I'm one of those people who feels especially proud because I don't think I was in any way involved in it. But it was amazing to watch. And I think they're a really great team, really nice bunch of lads. I think Gareth Southgate is a, maybe not a superb manager, but he seems like a brilliant man. So um, I'm gutted for them more than I am for me, I think. Uh, but yeah, it would, have been, it would have been amazing to see England just go one, one step further. Like they were literally two kicks away from, from victory. So it, it, was, it, was, it was gutting at the time, but I can look back on it now and just enjoy it, I think. And they gave, us, gave me some pretty good memories throughout the summer. Okay, well, we'll jump into it a little bit. But first, today it's a family affair as we welcome the visual brains behind the Pogba Gold magazine and the man whose vision manifests itself in the beautiful design of each issue. Welcome to the Pogba Gold podcast, my younger brother, Key Carew. Thank you, brother. <laughs> uh, Key, on a previous podcast, Taylor interviewed me, but as we do with all our guests, we ask, how did you first get into football or what sparked your interest in the sport? Uh, I suppose, like, it was the Ireland games, watching the Ireland games at home. And then I think you might have said it in, in your one where we tried to recreate the goals that we've seen on the match. And actually, like, we'd go out at half time and we'd probably forget to go back in for the second half. <laughs> yeah. We actually used to do the commentary for the games too. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, well, do you want to give us some now? 
<laughs> Thinking back, I wonder what the neighbours must have thought of us. Like this was like proper at the top of your lung stuff. <laughs> I think the fact that like with the four boys in the family and then dad being involved in football as like a coach and even just on our kind of block of houses, our street, it was nearly all boys too and our garden was one of the biggest on the street. So our garden was the football pitch. Yeah. And you just, you couldn't help but be involved in football and fall in love with it. Well, yeah, like watching and playing and yeah, that's how I got into it, I suppose. Out of, the, out of the two of you, who's the superior player? Oh, well, it was different positions. I, I... And that, that's not the question I asked. I cannot play football outfield. I'm a goalkeeper. I, ca- I cannot. I've got two left feet. Can well, I am left foot, so... <laughs> Three left feet between you. I think what you said as well about, like, when you started playing football, it was always really stressful. It wasn't enjoyable to play organised sport or organised football. It was actually hell on earth. Like, <laughs> Usually it was raining, so we just decided not to go. And usually you had some, like, our lad who his son was playing on the team who didn't have a clue about football, giving out to you. I, I was a striker and I was playing for Fort Rangers, like under 14. And the manager said to me, I took a shot on goal. The manager said to me, if you want to score goals, the dressing room's over there. And then, <laughs> like, I'll hook you off. And I was, I'm a striker. I was supposed to be trying to score goals. <laughs> so there's just these, like, idiots running the game at that level. It's not enjoyable. You're on a too big football pitch it kind of, sometimes the like the love of like playing for fun it was much more fun playing out in the back garden yeah it's very true yeah like the organization of it it's yeah you could go down the whole rabbit hole or like discussing why football in ireland isn't like where it should be compared to like say spain where People love football and they, like I've started playing football recently now and we're playing on six side and a little pitch down and the flats down the road and people are just screaming at me. Like uh, criticising you? Or... Yeah, when I, I don't think Irish people like football. They don't like the football. <laughs> yeah. When they get the ball, they kick it away. Yeah, it's very true. If you try to hold on to it and you might like make a mistake or you might try something, someone's screaming at you. Joe, you've been to Ireland, you grew up going to Ireland on holidays and everything, you're half Irish. Would you agree when you played over there, is it the kind of GAA mentality? In GAA, it's very much about knocking a ball 30 or 40 yards and then individual battles. And, And often I think that transfers to the soccer pitch or the football pitch. Yeah, well, every time I've been to Ireland, um, my family has been just very keen to stick a hurl in my hands. Like the, the last thing they want to do is is uh, play soccer. They, they're like, right, le- these are our sports. These are the more important ones. Learn these ones. Uh, so, yeah, I've never really played uh, football over there. But um, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting that you talk about the, 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 the chaos of management at under-14 level and... James, we've spoken about this before. Is that that chaos doesn't seem to diminish as you rise through the ranks? The the people who run the game seem to just have no idea what they're doing, or they're doing it with ulterior motives, 
the management choices seem to be incredibly poor or that they're, they're done just on a whim uh the players don't see some of them just don't seem to care some of them just don't want to play around at all people like jack grealish is he jumped ship at the first opportunity so i i, I don't know yeah just it it seems like it's a it's the kind of sport that the, they love there are so many fans of football in ireland but it all seems to be directed away from ireland like they they look towards the premier league they they enjoy the sport but um I, I don't know. Perhaps they just want to look look further afield for their for their enjoyment. It's very true. Might get into that more in a little bit. Looking back on the Euros, you mentioned Grealish, and I don't know if I even want to mention Declan Rice, but we'll humour you and ask you what was your highlight of the tournament. Well, oh, a, a very very bittersweet highlight was Luke Shaw scoring the final. I I think that's. That, that's my ultimate football moment. I, I don't think anything will peak that unless, obviously, England go on to win a major tournament. But um, as, soon, as soon as that happened, I was just like, this is it. England are going to win. And then and then England went and played as England for the remainder of the match and duly lost. But aside from that, uh, like on, a, on an overarching basis of the tournament, I think it was just amazing to have crowds back. It was... Um, like I didn't realise how much I'd, I'd missed that sort of like organic collective noise, be it a cheer or a groan or whistles. Um, yeah, I, I just really, really missed that from the game. And I, I, I think I previously wasn't quite aware of, of how absent that was. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that return in, um, in the domestic game as well now. Hmm. Key... Did you enjoy the tournament? Did you get to watch a lot of it, even though Ireland weren't in it? Uh, I did enjoy it, but I think, yeah, I enjoyed it because it was the first time in about a year that I had watched football on TV. Because I, you might have heard her crying earlier, I have a baby upstairs. <laughs> so her schedule isn't really fitting in with my watching football schedule. Right. <laughs> Selfish. I know. Like when you actually sit down to watch a match and then you realise, oh, I've got to wash bottles and make bottles and then 20 minutes of the game is gone. Yeah. So I think just, yeah, it was kind of hard to dedicate any time to watch the Premier League. And the, the fact that there was no crowds in there just did not interest me in, in any way. So yeah. it felt like football was back with the Euros then. Yeah, I think we talked about it before. I think that having no crowds and even the fake crowd noise wear thin very, very quickly. Um, I want to talk in a little bit, because talking about watching football on TV, but you're a season ticket holder at Bohemians, so you've missed going to live football, and I'll touch on that in a little bit. But first, we wanted to bring you on to get your insight into what it's like to publish an independent magazine and the challenges you and we have had to overcome. To some, print is dead, but physical magazines are alive and well. Issue six of Pogue Magol is available. Pogue Magol. They've just been hiding in an independent space outside of commercial publishing. This looks at Irish footballing culture and football culture around the world. Pogue Magol covers some of the untold stories that go on in soccer. There will be a bunch of hackers. 
proud of the guy that involved. It will be big. Chris Waddle, is he going to have a crack? Oh, he does, he scores! When I was going up to Kenny City. Kenny, we're level after four minutes. Here's the ball over the top for Kenny, and Kenny knocks it into the back of the net. And so, as the designer, the kind of visual brains I called it, behind the magazine, six issues in and gathering content now for a seventh, where do you think we are, or how has it evolved from the first day? We're the only football magazine coming out in this country. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about. It's kind of crazy considering that how amateur we are. <laughs> but the last issue was the first one that we had in a shop in shops around Ireland. It was in Easton's and it was in Tuttle's, and it I think it can sit alongside any of Four Four Two or World Soccer or any magazine that comes out or even any independent magazine that I've bought online, I think it's as good or better than some of them. You've often said you were inspired by magazines like the Green Soccer Journal, which is American and I think isn't going anymore, and Howler. And what was it about those magazines that inspired you? Yeah, the Green Soccer Journal was probably the one that, that really inspired me. It, was, it, it wasn't shoot, it wasn't match. It wasn't really like it, it was more intelligent than any of them magazines. It like had photo essays about a stadium or it had like say Buffon wearing uh he was like modeling clothes and it just it spoke to you spoke to football people or football fans like they weren't Neanderthals. It wasn't just like assuming that if you're a football fan then you just like Paddy Power and tits on page three. <laughs> it was like, yeah. And then the design as well was it, uh, it was printed on nice stock, printed on nice paper. It, as I was studying graphic design at the time, and it just really spoke to me then. So it, that kind of told me as well that there must be other people like me out there that if if people are consuming a product like that, then yeah, that's the kind of magazine that we could do. And then uh, like, yeah, Howler was a massive inspiration too, because a lot of that was illustration led. So I think some of the magazines I would have gotten before, like 442 and stuff, it was all just the footballer or the match or the pitch. And these magazines kind of like let, the illustration tell the story as well as the words. I, I, I've got a good a question that I was I wanted to ask, and um, I probably should have asked James this at some point, but I never have. So, th- like the idea of coming up with a magazine is is one thing, and having the ambition of getting a, a magazine out there. But how do you go about then filling that magazine with content? Like, how do you find these these country contributors because I know you've got people from around the world that send in articles and send in illustrations and send in artwork and things so how, how do you even start seeking those people out and is that more of an undertaking than perhaps you you initially thought it would be yeah uh, 
I think we we from doing the website, we built up a kind of a network of decent writers and stuff that we had like a kind of base level to go off that. Oh, I think in the first issue, like it was almost like me and you, James, we wrote nearly everything in it. Yeah. One or two uh, people that we would have had on the website and stuff. But we did we did start to build a, a nice network of like-minded people, like independent writers. And uh, we started doing these match day poster series as well for Ireland games. So we'd ask a designer in Dublin or in England uh, to design a poster for an Ireland game. And that kind of gave us this uh, network of designers too, so that when we did start going to make the magazine, we had people that could illustrate for us. But yeah, I think be because we went with the website, we kind of went down this, uh, we started talking about things that really interested us, like design or crest design or like stadium design, that we gained a name for having considered a considered look and a considered design that when we go to make the magazine, we can get people of like like minded that would be into the same stuff as we are. And the first four issues were on newsprint. So they were effectively newspapers. And you say we, but it is you. It is your eye. In the, some of those first editions, you could have a two-page spread for one image and loads of white space around it, like a football boot. That, to me, that made it distinctive. Tell us what the thinking is behind that from a design point of view. Uh, it's actually the design of, it, of the magazine is really simple. And like that white space lets the image breathe. And so you're not, I think if you've opened up 442 now, You'll just have all this like uh, add-ons because they don't trust the reader. They think that they need to. They think the the magazine needs to be a version of Sky Sports with like a ticker tape and an image here and another little box here. But the design of Pokemon Go is really really simple, and that's probably why it stands out because there's people don't really trust themselves to keep it simple, and then they might not trust the reader either. Yeah, it's sort of appealing to the the um, what do, what do they call it? the instant gratification generation? How they cut? They need they need everything thrown at them. They need uh, content in two hundred words. If it's not if it's more than two hundred words, they're not going to read it because it's too much. And um, yeah, even, yeah. Even like the, watching the Olympics now, uh, like the guys on the BBC and they're doing it in RTE. They have this uh, set of uh, Japanese high-rise apartment built around them in 3d because they can't they can do it but just because you can do it doesn't mean you should yeah because yeah. it looks fucking stupid <laughs> yeah. yeah and also japan is the real japan is right behind them Let's yeah look at that or we know they can't bloody fly there so they're in yeah. a square box in south county dublin they're not in a blade runner so like just you just keep it simple like just trust the reader that or the viewer that they have a level of intelligence that they don't need to be distracted to keep their attention it's worth pointing out that we've always said uh, 
we wanted the look and the feel and the visuals to be as good as the writing. But the look and the visuals has garnered a lot of praise from that industry. So like it's been in the 100 archive, which was 100 items of best design in Ireland. Um, We've had two entries in that, I think. That must give you a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, and just before the pandemic hit, I was asked to like do a 15-minute talk at OSA Festival, which is like a graphic design conference where they get people to come from around the world. And that was like massive inspiration to all of us when we were in college. Yeah. But I was secretly delighted when it was cancelled because I did not want to do it. Yeah, getting you on this pod has been a bit of a struggle, but... But do you know why that was, actually? Because remember when I did the Copa 90 video? Yeah. Have you seen that, Joe? Yeah, I've seen that. We're talking about uh, the fan rivalries. Yeah. <laughs> so they are brilliant at like putting together them videos because they... Uh, when I did that, like your man Ellie would ask me, so Bowls and Rovers is a big game. And I go, yeah, yeah, it's a big game. It's probably the biggest game in Dublin and in Ireland. And then I'd stop talking. And then, like, that's useless to him. So then he'd go to me again. Oh, and so, like, the game that we're going to go to tomorrow, like, that's a huge game, isn't it? And I was just, like, looking at him, like, I've just, just answered this. <laughs> but I kind of just went with it. And then I was like, oh, uh, yeah, like, I'd say the crowd will be getting involved and it'll be crunching tackles. And then... Like I did that a couple of times and then when they edit that, they chop it all up and it they make it sound amazing. Yeah. But uh then this Spanish magazine came over after they saw that and they thought like I was a genius. And they arranged to meet me before an Ireland game and did we never arranged any prep or anything. So they just asked me all these questions and I just start doing a Johnny Giles impression. <laughs> In the game of two halves, crunching tackles, we'll give it to them. And then the video never came out because it was <laughs> I think you do yourself a disservice, to be honest, but it's just a confidence and a practice thing. Uh, yeah, well, that kind of put me off it. And also the fact like that, any time then when I used to go into Daily Mad, they'd have that video on the bar. And, and you're there on the bar. <laughs> You mentioned about like international uh, audiences and Copper 90 coming to Dublin and everything. Like, we do have contributors from all over the world, and really, they've worked with like huge brands in their industry, they're really big names, and it's largely down to you selling what we're trying to do to them. What, what is it you think? entices them to work with us? Uh, Maybe just because it is a good product. Like, uh, yeah, like I do myself a disservice talking about myself and that, but I do actually really, I wouldn't ever talk down about the magazine because I I know that it is is a good product. And like, that's probably because of the writing as well. And it's not just... I've bought some independent magazines. I flicked through them and I've thrown them in the bin. Daring yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> like there is a so there is a lot more substance behind what we do, and I think that you can. I think that the people that contribute 
they can see that. Like we've, I've contacted a photographer in yeah in Phoenix in Arizona, and she's delighted to be in the next one now. Like, you don't get that by just putting out just crap for the sake of it. Yeah, they can see the the level of work and the portfolio, for want of a better word, of work that's gone into it. I think also like it's about football, and I I know it's cliche to say the universal language, but like you're talking to people in Brazil or Japan, and it's about football, and so you've already got that common interest. And like we, you've had articles published in Ballister and Il Freunde, like because it's football, and to be published in a magazine in Austria and to be published in a magazine in Germany, like that's like, and yeah, you're getting validation for what you're doing. You have said in the past, if you knew now, at the start, how hard it would be, you might not have even begun. Do you still feel like that, or what? What? What do you mean by that? I think, yeah, when I started and then I re- like I had already asked a couple of contributors and illustrators and then I started to figure out how costly it would be and nobody wanted to advertise and like that's still one of our massive biggest problems that, yeah, it probably would have put me off to the point where it just it would have been too hard but because I started and like we started and we had people on board already that maybe pushed us through so then we got the first one over the line what has been the biggest challenge is it advertising or what are some of the other challenges we've butted heads but i i've learned to bow to your superior design knowledge and also like you're well able to write yourself so what would you say is the biggest challenge yeah i think like we're not businessmen i think like you nearly need to develop we've had advertisers and then we've lost them like you nearly need to have like this kind of marketing like to cultivate a relationship with them like you could just spoof and bullshit them but we just yeah we're both kind of the creative force behind it but like we need like a business head as well which is like it's actually a full-time job nearly to try get rid of them after you make them all so yeah i think the yeah the biggest challenge is just is the business side of it is as hard is actually way harder than putting it together. Putting it together is the easy part. I would, I would say as well, talking about the the things you like most about the magazine, and from from an outsider perspective, I think the aside from how well it's all put together, is that it focuses on elements of football that aren't generally covered. So it's not just a rundown of the the latest Premier League fixtures. It's not just an in depth discussion with Wayne Rooney about what it's like to manage Derby. It's cultural touch points it's a like timeless evergreen stories and that kind of means that every edition of the magazine is essentially as new as the previous one which i think is an it's an incredible sell and that's something you don't really see in in any other magazine it's like like almost akin to a book in that regard like a novel it it doesn't go out of date and um yeah yeah you you just it's so rare for something like that to to exist and um definitely kudos for that yeah it's almost like a series of documentaries with written written documentary in the magazine which is amazing but you can also see how that might put um advertisers off perhaps if everything's not incredibly timely it's just not how the advertising world works which is more more full then really 
Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it, it could be a frustration that, that the magazine's greatest selling point really isn't a selling point to the advertisers. That kind of, I think that came about probably because we, we knew that it was going to take months and months to get advertising, get all the content in, edited, and we knew that you can't really have articles going out of date then. So we publish once a year at the moment, and this year might be the first year that we have two out in one year. But the fact that we were only able to publish once a year, like that has given us that unique selling point. Yeah, the strongest thing about the magazine is that it's evergreen. And and what, so you send this to the first edition that's ended up in shops. Like, uh, what was the the negotiations like to to do that? Like, what was what was your sell to the um, to the supermarkets or the, the the retailers that you're currently involved with? Like, what did, what made them them take the magazine on board? Uh, it's quite niche. Like, it's quite a niche product. Like, I don't know plenty of football fans that would never buy four four two. And yeah. they never buy world soccer. They might never even buy any books about football. So you're already like it's a lim- limiting audience there. And then like it's got illustrations that might not speak to everybody, or photography that might not speak to everybody. So it is niche. And then you've got a cover that doesn't have Beckham on it or Pogba or a current player. So. It's kind of like it's a football magazine for design nerds as well. So, but the distribution company loved it. They thought it was, we were selling it too cheap. The Easton's bought it, like there were shops in town, totals and stuff that I didn't think ever would take it on. Like some didn't sell them, but they still stocked it. So getting it into the shops was, yeah, I think we had to, we had to get to a certain level before we could get it into shops anyway. And uh, the orders go out all over the world. Like that's a really re- rewarding aspect. Yeah, like Chile, Canada, America, Australia, everywhere. Like every country in Europe. There is a couple of Irish names there, so. Yeah, that's that helps <laughs> the diaspora. But there is people that are buying into it abroad as well. They're probably just exactly like us too. And we're currently gathering content for issue seven which we're hoping to release in the autumn time tell us a little bit about that it's got more pages this time yeah just say uh, it i always just want to push it forward a bit just so that i'm interested so it keeps me interested by doing that kind of stuff and yeah i was just trying to push forward with it like i don't know if any of you know monocle magazine but it's just really thick magazine that you buy in airports and you take on flights and you don't really read it because it's inaccessible and actually some of the writing is very bad too okay, you know, it, it's, and it's uber highbrow as well it's, just, it's one of those ones you'd buy just to put on your coffee shelf yeah exactly and my coffee uh, my bookshelf there is like full of them but it's not mainly for other people's benefit <laughs> well if we could get it's a massive thick book like magazine so if we could get to that level, that would be the dream. But yeah, I was just trying to push forward and trying to get new contributors and new illustrators. So that's so if we have two out this year, then you have to have something that's going to interest the people that already bought the first one this year. Is there like a, a particular topic that particularly 
intrigues you like a, a part of the world or like football rivalries or like the, the history of the game or how it's spread to to, to like smaller populaces like um, I don't know Tuvalu for example uh, is there anything that you've been watching the Olympics yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think like uh, well speaking from a design perspective like you see the cross of St George on like it's on the Italian teams and it's on Milan have it on theirs it's on the Barca crest like that's how football spread like but then when you go into dense stories like like the history of how the game spread is influencing the design of the crest nowadays so like that's really interests me to think this kind of stories that I'm interested in are like the stuff about like Eastern European countries that are no more and where the football is like the least important thing about the article. Like the geopolitics and societal interest about the stories. That's so much more interesting to me than who scored in the game or... It, it's, it's such a good entrance point into into various topics. So you can talk about... Like the, we're talking to um, a few podcasts ago, the guy who lived in Prague. He was just talking about how football is infused in in that society, but all the various aspects that it's sort of embedded in as well, like uh, f- like singing tradition and hooliganism and tribal loyalties and ju- just the, the growth of the city itself. It's, it's just ridiculous that football can be the, the core topic that you build it around, but you, you barely have to mention the sport at all to get a, an engaging story. Yeah. Uh, what about you, James? Well, I, my next question was the 90 minutes is perhaps the least important of things, but it's become more important. And for you, now that you are a Bohemian season ticket holder, because I remember, like me and like most Irish kids, you probably remember the day we were seven or eight years old going through match magazines and shoot magazines and picking what team we wanted to support and we probably changed over the course of a couple of days and I remember you before Key like Key ended up being quite a die-hard Sheffield Wednesday fan and went over to the games a couple of times but I remember you saying as you grew up as you grew older eventually it's like your only interaction with Sheffield Wednesday was maybe a 30-second highlights on Match of the Day or Match of the Day 2. And that was all you saw of what was supposed to be your club. And so you just kind of naturally fell away. And living in that part of Dublin, we grew up as League of Ireland fans, but you kind of, you found Bohemians, and it's not cheesy to say they found you as well. Definitely, like... I people used to like say, "Oh, you're a diehard Wednesday fan," like, and it was all, it was like a mark of respect, like that you followed a team that wasn't Liverpool or Man United or that. And yeah, like I would have been big Sheffield Wednesday fan, but I just the more I just saw, the more I started going to live games, the more I just saw how false it was to just like I looked at my phone and if they lost, I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Or if they won, yes. They won. But, like, what was my interaction there? Yeah. And then I was going to games. I, yeah, I started going to the Bulls games, and we moved to Cabra. You can see the floodlights at Daily Mount from just if you go around the corner. And I'd be walking to work, and I'd see 
the little old man that looks like the guy from Up walking his dog that sells the halftime raffle tickets. <laughs> and you don't see that following Sheffield Wednesday on the phone. It's romantic. But it's also real too, like. like yeah. Sheffield Wednesday were my favourite TV show. Yeah. What was the attraction to Sheffield Wednesday? Was it was it was it John Sheridan? Uh, yeah, a little bit because you kind of had to have an Irish guy in the team. Yeah, that was a rule. But then, like Chrissy Waddle played there, and I was left winger, and I liked him. So, and they were in the FA Cup final and Coca Cola Cup final in '93. So, I I thought they were like this massive club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they went through a spell of having some ridiculous players. So they had Dan Petrescu, they had Decanio. Decanio was there when he did his famous referee push, wasn't he? You do need idols. And unfortunately, as we well know, like the Premier League is all encompassing and and it's like a black hole of the geographic pull for Ireland. We're always going to look to these massive stars. But I wanted to ask you, Key, because we grew up, going to Kilkenny City matches. Now, Kilkenny City were a bit of a laughing stock at one point, even within Kilkenny. But there's, there's reasons behind that. They weren't playing very well, but they were, they were saving money to invest in the ground and that. And then we started to go as teenagers, and it was like the glory years. They were winning every week. They got promoted. And we were the annoying, spotty teenagers. I would have hated to stand beside us now. But... That was our first experience of authentic terrace football, the same as any anyone experiences in these countries we're writing about now. Would you agree? Yeah, and like you're hanging out with your mates, and like sure we were barely watching the football. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, you're just hanging out with your mates all on Friday night or Saturday night, and it was this kind of like introduction to like terrace football, and. We'd always be coming up with stupid chants, like from Father Ted or something. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember when, like, we watched ID? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, Joel, but it's like the, this... the football hooligan film with the policeman. Yeah, yeah. But we start. We adopted their song, which is Shadwell Town, and it was to the tune of R- Rule Britannia. <laughs> yeah. So what were we people thinking, like, when we went to uh, like any other ground? But we also, we used to go on the team bus to games. Yeah, which was brilliant for us. Amazing. Like, and we weren't starstruck or anything, but it was just, it was, it's such a shame that they're gone now. Do, do you think, this is just an anecdotal question, I guess, but there's sort of a, a clamour for a return to this sort of, not necessarily grassroots football, but a, a, a game where the fans aren't so disconnected from the players. Because... Sheffield Wednesday is potentially not not a great example, but but even Sheffield Wednesday, so the players are incredibly well paid. They they have their own uh, their own lives uh, away from the game. They wouldn't be just going into pubs after the game and talking to the fans like they would have done in the fifties and the sixties. And I think the the magazine is potentially representative of that. Of people want the they they don't just want the glitz and the glamour around it. They want the the nitty gritty that goes on behind it. They want the the real life stories, and I think a lot of people, especially of our generations, are kind of growing a little bit tired of just watching millionaires run around kicking a ball in pristine stadiums, um, wearing pristine kits that cost us a hundred pounds, uh, and they kind of just want want to go back to how football was meant to be of, of just a 
a little kick around and anyone could get involved whenever they wanted to. That's why, like, you know, Dollar to Hamlet are, like, becoming really popular now. Even, like, I, Ken Early on Second Captains and stuff, who they would be quite dismissive of the League of Ireland. Like, I've heard them talk about how, like, real the League of Ireland is now. It is real to go to a game like that, and it's not real to sit and watch Old Trafford with 80,000 people on your couch. It's, And also, people want the post-event satisfaction for that described. They want their Instagram posts, and you're not going to get that watching and taking a photo on the TV. You're going to get it by being there. It's not the right reason to be going to a game. but There is no right, right or wrong reason to go to a game. You go because, because you enjoy it. Like the... These institutions can only exist because people pay their money for them to keep running. Like the various people have to keep going. There have to be people who die hard because they they just are obsessed with the club. There are other people because it's the only time of the week where they get to see their friends. Uh, there'll be other people who just go because um, their family like it, so it's a good opportunity to hang out with them. Or some people just like going to the pub a lot before and after, and then football's just a nice breakwater in the middle. Or he'd have to drink for a bit. It's the, you know, the, the class of 92 documentary where they took over Salford and there was guys there that hated the idea of their club being taken over and brought up the divisions because they wanted it exactly the way it is now. That's the perfect segue into Bowes and what we've talked about with the redevelopment of the ground and everything. Bowes has become a go-to place in Dublin. People who never talked about League of Ireland talk about it now and they all seem to be Bose fans or maybe Rovers fans. What strikes me about Bose is that what's appealing about it is that it appeals to an older person. I remember we tried to start a Kilkenny supporters club because basically it was like, why don't we meet up in the pub before the games and after? So why don't we meet our mates in the pub? But it ended up becoming... Lots of little kids wanted to join and teenagers wanted to join. It's like, well, I don't particularly want to be an administrator of that. And I think what Bose does is, yes, it maybe it caters to kids, but it caters to older people. It gives them an outlet on a Friday night. Like, you can go to the pub and, Key, you've told me stories like the bars in Daily Mount are absolutely insane at halftime and lads end up not going back out. And it's a rickety old falling down stadium that's got a bit of soul about it. Yeah, it definitely appeals to the older generation as well. Like, there's, I'm going to the game on Thursday and I'm going with one of my friend's dad who have gone to the pub beforehand. Yeah. He's a Bulls fan. Like, you wouldn't get that. You wouldn't really get that in any other kind of walk of life. Maybe it's the community around Bulls that, like, it kind of just gravitates towards. It's, it's in Dublin 7. It kind of encompasses, like, Finglas, Cabra, Fibsborough, some like other parts of the north side of Dublin. Actually, Fibsborough has been like listed as one of the coolest cities to live in in the world by like Time Out magazine and all this. Yeah, coolest neighborhoods. Yeah, and then Bowes kind of just because Bowes are on this like real, they are the go-to thing in Dublin now. There's like this real feel-good thing around them. It kind of reminds me of the Kenny GAA. There's a soccer pitch up the road from us here and all the underage teams play there. And you see them going around in their Bulls underage gear. Like they're all in the kits and the tops and the girls team plays up there now. And you go into the 
cafe down the road and there's an owl lad talking to the lad about balls, about the match. And like that did not happen for League of Ireland when we were going up, ever. I used to wear Kilkenny City jersey to PE class when they were winning and you'd have older classes shout something like taking the piss out the window in Kilkenny, like your own club winning top of the league and still you couldn't win them over. So that's the kind of environment you were battling against. Well, just it, it feels just natural with balls, like, and definitely in this area. That kind of cross-pollination between generations that otherwise wouldn't connect is, it's, it's an amazing thing. And uh, if football is the, is the glue that brings those people together, then why would you not promote it? Why would you not love it? It's, I know a lot of people say this, that football, is, the football stadiums are like churches for football fans, but it's, it, they work in the exact same way, don't they? They just draw people from the community so they've got this one unified place where they can all uh, look towards a common goal. And yeah, football seems to, to do that. I think that, that sort of thing should be promoted, especially as you say, like, it's, it's not the same support in Sheffield Wednesday if you're never going to go to Sheffield. Like, what, what have you really got in common with with the city of Sheffield, with the people who live there, you can't just go and have those conversations at a coffee shop because you no. probably don't know where the local coffee shop is. Uh, it's 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 so much better to be able to do it and then walk down the street to the stadium. That could be a Morrissey lyric. Why support Sheffield Wednesday if you're never going to go to Sheffield? <laughs> yeah, but he'd say it in a much more pretentious and depressing way. <laughs> and he'd probably say something about vaccines as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that flew by. I, I could have stayed talking for another hour. It was Great to have you on, Key. Get insights into how this magazine is put together, this passion project of ours that Joe's now a part of as well. So I would normally say, where can we find you online? But it's all the Pogue McGold social media accounts. And yeah, thanks for coming on. And we'll wait and see uh, when we can get issue seven out. Yeah, and thanks for doing the podcast. I think it's been a brilliant addition to it. It's like it's given like a new kind of, piece of life and just to get all the authors on and to get photographers on and stuff and you're doing a brilliant job at it cheers and cheers to you joe for coming on again no problem it's a pleasure as always and that's it for the latest episode drop us a rating or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and toggle back for previous shows you can also get in contact via social media join us next time on the pogba gold podcast